Had a crazy week, kind of busy, but it's good to be with you guys tonight. We've been, we have been going through piece by piece by piece this whole overwhelming concept of what the glory of God is really all about, how it looks, how it affects us, how it interacts with our life, how big God really is. We've realized over the course of the last month, month and a half or so that we've been talking about this, that God's glory is revealed in lots of different ways. We've talked about the, the way that God reveals himself to us through the situations in our life, through the facts that we go through hard times, and in those hard times, God shows himself to be super, super real to us. Many of us don't really dig that at all. We don't like the fact that we have to go through hard times. We don't like that we have to suffer. We don't like that there's things in our lives that don't make sense, but we're learning how to trust God. We're learning how to, how to understand that God is faithful even when everything in our life is completely chaotic and out of control and how it appears that it doesn't have any kind of sense to it whatsoever. A couple weeks ago, we dived into this concept of what it would be like if we were to pick up a book and we were to start reading the book on page number 20 and how foolish it would be for us to think that the book would make any sense to us because the context would be all messed up because we would be starting in the middle of the story. We talked about how that's how our lives are many times, that we look at the story of God and the story that we find ourselves in, and we find ourselves right in the center of it, and we don't know what's going on. We wake up in the morning and we look at it and we go, this just doesn't make any sense. Why is it like this? And we have to step back and realize is that God has this story that he has been writing from before we were ever thought of, before we were ever born, and it's gonna keep on going for long past when we're here. And we find ourselves in the middle of that story. And sometimes the circumstances of our lives have not completed themselves. They haven't played out yet. And so the Bible says that we look down the road. Our hope, our, our, our intentions, and our focus is not on today, but it's down the road for the day when this whole thing makes sense and the day when Christ comes back and the day when Jesus comes and literally becomes one with his church. And the Bible says that on that day, that every wrong that's ever happened will be corrected. That every unjust thing that you and I see when we look around the world today, when we look on the news and we see the poverty and we see the abuse and we see the people that are taken advantage of and we see our lives and we go, how can that be right on that day as we look down the road the Bible says it will be made right. God's a just God and he's got his day coming when he will make everything right. And so we're full of hope. We're full of this understanding that it's not over today. It's not over tomorrow, that life continues to unfold. And we've talked about the way that God reveals his glory in this understanding and how God shows his love to us far before we ever deserved it, thought about it, or even knew it existed. God was already loving us. And then last week, we talked about what it looks like to have a life that's being changed by God and how the glory of God is just revealed through the messy stuff of us, how our brokenness and our dysfunction and the families that we come from that don't know how to show love and don't know how to parent and don't know how to do anything correctly, that somehow in the midst of all of that, God begins to take all of it like clay and begins to reshape it and remold it and turn it into something that's beautiful. And then he puts us on display and he says, look, you're my masterpiece. 
You are the object of my love and I have taken all the crap of your life that's gone on and I've compiled it all into this beautiful thing and God gets glory through us. It's nuts. It's crazy. I mean, when I think about it, it's nuts. And so last week we looked at this crazy scripture that says in Romans chapter one that God wants it to be that we would love him and obey him and we would bring glory to his name. As our lives begin to change and as we begin to connect with God and have this intimate relationship, we literally become one with him and learn how to live with him. And in Romans, we looked at this other scripture. Look at it with me up on the screen. It says in Romans chapter eight that God knew us before any of this happened. He knew us in advance. And he says, he chose us to become like his son. And then it says he brought us into the family with many brothers and sisters. And then he says the craziest thing of all that he wanted us to come to him. And how hard it is for some of us to get close to God because we're aware of where we come from. We're aware of our brokenness. We're aware of the things that we've done. And so for us to think about coming close to God makes us super, super uncomfortable. But the end of result is that God says that he promises us his glory, that he literally wants to put your life and my life on display to reflect him. Now, that doesn't make much sense when you look at yourself, does it? At least for me. You look at yourself and you just go, how am I going to reflect God? How am I really going to be something that does justice to the glory of God? There's hope for us. I want to share with you a story tonight in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12. And I'm going to read this story to you, and starting in verse number 13. Jesus is in the middle of teaching, and somebody from the crowd says to him, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, Beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. And then Jesus gave an illustration. He told a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile field that produced fine crops. In fact, his barns were full to overflowing. So he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have enough room to store everything. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. So take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night, and then who will get it all? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. I want to ask you a personal question right now, and I don't know if you'll answer it correctly or answer it honestly, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If somebody deposited a million dollars in your account, what would be the first check that you would write? Come on, think about it. The first check that you would write if somebody made you a millionaire. I hear stories all the time of people that hit the lottery. People that, you know, they scratch it off and they go on the big spin or whatever they do. And I don't even know if they have the big spin anymore, but people whose lives are, boom, instantly changed this that fast. 
And I think about that sometimes. I think about the circumstances in my life, and I think about the way that I get used to the things that are happening all around me on a daily basis. And this becomes my reality. This becomes the nuts and bolts of where I live and what I have to work with. And then I think, what would happen if it was suddenly changed? What if, what if somebody suddenly changed everything that I thought was normal today? How would I react? How would I respond? See, when we think in terms like that, when we think in terms of how things appear to be in our life, and we think in terms of how we get used to certain things, it gives us context and it gives us proper perspective to be able to see what is what. See, this story in the Bible, when we read it, it seems really clear that it's a story about greed. This guy comes up to Jesus and he's like, look, dude, my brother will not give me my fair share of our father's inheritance. My dad died, he left us a bunch of stuff, and my brother's being greedy and he won't give me my share. Will you please tell him to do the right thing? And Jesus is just like, I'm sure. He's just shaking his head. He's going, God, how did I get into this? Is this really what you wanted me to do? I mean, he's just, he's dealing with basically family drama. How many of you guys have family drama? Yeah. So Jesus is in the middle of this family drama and he's just like, why are you asking me this stupid question about your family? I'm not the judge of this. But in the middle of this, he says, don't you guys get it? The real stuff of life is not about what you own. The real stuff of life is not measured by how much you accumulate. And then he tells this story about a really, really successful farmer. As a matter of fact, this farmer was so successful that he was being able to project down the road of his life. And he was saying, I have got this farming thing down so good that somewhere down the road, I can see that I'm going to need way more more storage than what I've got right now. I'm going to need to build bigger barns just to hold all the stuff that I'm going to create. And this farmer was so confident in his abilities that he was projecting about his future. And he said to himself, I can see the day when I am going to be living it good, man. I'm going to kick my feet up. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I am going to just be dialed in. In other words, this guy was thinking that he was an employee of the state of California, right? Oh, I'm just kidding. If you're an employee, my best friend's a state employee, so I can kind of tease him about that. But you think, oh, the future and what it's all going to be like, and you've got it made. But this story is not just a story about a greedy heart. My friends, this is a story about the heart. It's a story about control. It's a story about who is in control of our lives. So ask yourself another question. Who is in control of your life? Who is in control of your life right now? See, because sometimes we look at the circumstances of our life and we think that the circumstances paint a pretty clear picture for us to be able to predict what's really happening and what's going to happen. You can find security in anything in your life. You know that? If you are unemployed and you get a job, your circumstances change so drastically that it's instinctual in us to instantly put our hope and our security in that job. If you've been without a spouse or a mate or a relationship 
And all of a sudden, you just meet the perfect guy or girl, and it's just poof, perfect, everything you've dreamed about. Instinctually, you begin to think, this relationship is everything I've ever needed, and it's changing my life that fast. And you begin to put your whole stock in this one change in your life. You can put your hope in anything, anything. And this story shows the fact that this guy had his hope in the wrong things. He thought that he knew the day he was going to retire, and he thought that he had his financial package complete, and he thought, I have got it made. And Jesus says, you fool, tonight you die. And then what? Oh, that didn't play out the way I thought it was going to. And so as we begin to think about this concept of control in our lives, we've got to really get to the core issue. We have behind us right here a couple signs. We have this one here, if you guys can see it. And it says so beautifully that there's glory in surrender. And it shows the hand being extended, releasing something. And then we see over here another phrase that says the futility of control. Holding on. Losing something. You guys have to get this. Because if you don't, you will spend the rest of your life trying to figure out your relationship with God and trying to figure out the world around you and it'll all come back to this one core issue, who is in control of your life. See, God says that he wants for our lives to bring forth a demonstration of his glory. In other words, God wants for us to be able to so faithfully trust him and live connected to him that when the world around us is grasping for control and grasping to try to hold on to what they think is gonna give them security and satisfaction, he wants for our lives to show what it looks like, to show the beauty of surrender and letting God have us. Letting God have us. See, when I let God have me, I can't hold on to me. I've got to let him have it. I've got to let him have all that I am or else I'm fighting all the time to call the shots. This idea of surrender is one that is not new. Matter of fact, we think just like that farmer does. We think first things first. First, I'm going to work hard and then I'm going to save my money and then I'll be able to be set and save and, and I'll retire. We think first, I'm going to get all these things dialed in my life. I'm going to line all this out and then I'll be obedient to what God wants me to do. First, I'm going to try to fix myself. First, I'm going to try to get myself sober. First, I'm going to try to kick my addiction. First, I'm going to try to do these things that have got me where they want me. And I just, first, I'm going to get all this stuff. And then I'll come to God and I'll surrender my life to him. We think like this. First things first. I got to do my part first. And then God, then I'll come to you. And God's like, you don't get it. This farmer thought he could do everything first. And he died that night. Jesus is like, wake up. Come to me first. Surrender first. Pick up with me in this story. Jesus winds up this, this tale, and then it says he turns to his disciples. 
And then he says, so I tell you, my followers, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or clothes to wear. For life consists of far more than food and clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because God feeds them. And you are far more valuable. You are far more valuable than, to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. And if worry can't do little things like that, then what's the use of worrying over big things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you? You have so little faith. And don't worry about food, what to eat and think or drink. Don't worry whether God will provide it for you. These things dominate the thoughts of most people. But your father already knows your needs and he will give you all that you need from day to day if you make the kingdom of God your primary concern. If you seek first the kingdom of God, if you make his kingdom the first thing in your life, Jesus tells this story of this rich farmer and then he turns to his disciples and he begins to talk to them and he says, why are you so worried? Why don't you get it? In other words, what Jesus was saying to them, disciples, followers, submit your will to God. Surrender your will to God. Submit it to God. In other words, Give yourself to God. Any of you guys in here ever watch UFC fighting? Oh, yeah, right. Come on, you guys watch UFC. If you don't, all you got to do is hang out in front of the church long enough and you'll see some right out front, I promise you. South Central Avenue, baby, front row. Anyway, in UFC fighting, there's this way to win and the way that you win in a fight is to get your opponent to submit you've got to put him in some type of a hold or some type of a, a configuration or you've got to beat them hard enough and long enough to where they finally just give up and they submit to you they surrender and then you win now when you and I think of this concept of submitting to God or surrendering to God, it's very normal that we would think in our minds of the UFC fight. It's very normal that we would think that in order for me to submit to God, I've got to give up after a long, hard struggle. I've got to fight and I've got to, uh, and then finally, oh, I just can't fight anymore. And then we submit and then we give in. Game over, we lose, right? That's how we're wired to think. When somebody says, submit to God, we're thinking somebody's like, real, real, submit to God. And you're just like, I don't want to. And we've got this total negative thought in our mind when we think about it. But you know, there's another way to think about submission to God. There's a whole different way 
that you and I have to come to understand if we are going to truly submit to God the way that he wants us to. Because submission may mean in that context to come under someone else's strength. But it can also mean to allow yourself to be protected by someone else that's stronger. Submission to God does not mean that you lose. It means that you are submitting yourself to someone that can truly protect you. Someone that is stronger than you. Someone that has more than you. When we talk about submitting to God, it is not a power struggle because guys, if there's anybody that can tell you what it feels like to go toe-to-toe with God, it's me. I went toe-to-toe with God for years. Power struggle. God, I'm not going to give in. I know what makes me happy. I know what I need. I know what's best for Jason. Only to come to the place of God showing me his strength and showing me how big he was and me coming to the end of myself and realizing is that I don't even know why I do the things that I do. I sure don't know what makes me really happy. And when I began to come to God and say, God, I need you. The Bible says that God has wings and he pulls us under them and we find ourselves safe beneath his wings like a strong thing. And he says, come in and let me show you as you submit to me, let me show you how I'll care for you and protect you. Submission to God means that we come under his protection. In the Bible, there's a crazy story. You guys know how I love just reading the stories of Jesus. It's like when I have questions, when I have issues, I go back to the life of Christ and I just say, Jesus, everything that I'm going through right now, I know you went through it first. And so will you please show me what it looks like? And it always is there. Jesus shows us. And so in this story, as we're talking about what it looks like to let God have glory through our lives, when we submit and when we surrender, we see a story of Jesus having to submit his will to God. See, Jesus came to a point in his life where his time on earth was almost over. And the the story that God was writing called for Jesus to be executed. It called for Jesus to die a brutal death. And Jesus was a human. He felt what you and I feel. He had emotions like you and I have. And there's not a human alive that wants to face execution. There's not a human alive that wants to go through a brutal, torturing situation that eventually will cost us our life. And Jesus was no different. And so we read this encounter between Jesus and his father as he's praying. And it says, Jesus was accompanied by his disciples and he left the upstairs room and he went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, pray that you will not be overcome by temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. And Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will 
not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened Jesus. And Jesus prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And at last he stood up again and he returned to his disciples only to find them asleep. They were exhausted from grief. And he asked, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray. Otherwise temptation will overpower you. Jesus is in literally the last days of his life. And he is wrestling through something that is a big deal. He's praying to God and he's saying, God, this whole dying thing, if there is another way, show me. If there is another way for this story to unfold, if there is another way for redemption to happen, if there's another way for it to be complete, show me. And then he says these powerful words, but I don't want my will, I want your will to be done. I want your will to take place. I want your will to unfold. Jesus shows us in this story that God brings crisis into our life for us to be able to make that choice. Who's in control? Whose will? My will or his will? Crisis comes into our life for us to have to choose who's in charge. About five years ago, I went through one of these moments. It was super, super hard. My wife had been having some health issues. She'd been having a lot of pain in her stomach. She'd gone to the doctor and they had done some tests and couldn't find out what was going on. And so they scheduled a sonogram. They scheduled the appointment for us to go in and for us to, with a machine, basically look around and see what was going on inside of her stomach. Put her up on the table. They got the machine out, and I'm sitting right here on the side of the room, and we're both, me and my wife are both looking up at the TV monitor, and we're watching this procedure take place. I'll never forget looking up at that screen and watching this, this machine and this little wand go over her stomach, and as we were looking up on the screen, you could see shapes of organs. And as the doctor or the, the nurse began to do it, I began to look on the organs and I saw black spots all over in her stomach. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't have any formal medical training. But you have to understand is that in that season of my life, I had had a, a lot of people, at least for, for my world, a lot of people that I personally knew go through battles with cancer. I had watched people in my life die from cancer. And I knew what the doctors had told them when they had gone in for procedures like this and how they saw these spots. And I freaked out. And I'm just like, is this really what I think it is? Are, are, are me and my wife sitting here looking at something that is going to be really bad? We haven't said a thing to each other. She's on the table and I'm sitting there. But I'm having a conversation with God. And the conversation kind of goes like this. 
So God, is this really what I think it is? Is this how it's going to really be? Is this how it's going to go down? And in my heart, I didn't get scared. And in my heart, I began to say things to God that blew me away. The things I said to God is, God, this is probably the worst thing that I can imagine happening right now. But God, if this is what I think it is and this goes down, God, you and me, we are good. I will not blame you for this. I will not stop following you, God. I will not change a thing about our relationship. And in my heart, in that moment, there was a huge test of my life of who is in control. See, because you and I have both been through situations where we've been tested. And we've said to God, God, you know what? I'm done with you. If this is what my life consists of now, then God, somehow, someway, you had something to do with this. I'm out. I did that at another time in my life when I was much younger. I had somebody in my life that I looked up to and I thought was somebody that I, I really allowed to influence me spiritually. And I watched them make a decision that hurt me personally. And I used it as an excuse to tell God, I'm done. What was the difference between those two circumstances in my life? Why did I choose to allow a circumstance to break my relationship with God and to use it as an excuse to walk away? Only later in life to have very similar circumstances come up again. Yet this time I said to God, God, I'm never leaving you no matter what happens. What changed over the span of my life to make me respond in those different ways? It was one thing. One thing only. During those period of times in my life, something dramatic happened. I learned that I could trust God. I went through some stuff. And I learned how to trust God. It's all a matter of trust. This whole issue of our lives, it all comes down to this one question. Can you trust God? The glory of God to be able to shine through our lives can only be on display when we truly say to the world around us and to the circumstances in our life, you may be bad cancer, but I trust God. You may be extremely difficult and challenging to go through, but I trust God. And nothing is going to change that because I've seen the glory of God. And I've seen who he really is. And I've seen that nothing can shake him. I get shaken. You get shaken. Our lives can stink and get shaken. But nothing can shake God. Nothing can rattle his cage. Next week is a super cool time for many of us. Saturday night next week, we're going to be having our, our second baptism service of the summer. 
And many of you want to be baptized. You've heard me talk about it. You've heard me explain it. And yet there's something inside of you that says, I just don't know if I can. Everybody will be watching me. What if, you know, what if something happens, whatever? Can you trust God? Can you trust God with you? As Jesus says, get baptized. Come follow me. Be baptized. Let the world around you see that you belong to him. If I were to ask people in this room tonight to share what's happened in their life over the course of the last six or seven weeks since we did our first baptism, those of them that were obedient and got in the water can tell you testimonies of how God has revealed himself, him to them in crazy ways. Doesn't mean their life's been easy. Doesn't mean there haven't been challenges. Doesn't mean that things haven't sometimes been out of control and feeling like you don't know what's happening. But God reveals himself to us when we follow him, when we obey him, when we put him on display through us for everybody to see. I'm going to have the band come back up. I'm going to have them come back up so that we can prepare our hearts tonight to take communion. For us to come to these tables and to open up our hearts to God. Many of you that come here on Saturday nights know that one of the things that we really value and that we really appreciate is the way that God meets with us during the last five minutes of our time together. See, it's great to be able to sing songs and hear good music. It's great to hear teaching and to be able to open up God's scripture and to be able to listen to what it says. But there is nothing sweeter than being able to come to God just between me and him to be able to get down to business. Some of you here tonight don't even understand what this table is here for. You don't even understand what the bread and the juice represents. And you've never participated in this. The Bible says that Jesus wants us to come to a place to where we remember the sacrifice that he made for us. Where we open up our hearts and we turn everything in our focus towards him. And we realign our agenda and our priorities with him. Our life can get off track so fast and so easily that we do this every week. We come back and we align ourselves with what's important to Jesus. And so tonight as you come, this is how we give. Those of you that are believers and you, you believe that God has given you everything, including your finances. This is when we give our finances. We put money in these little cups and we offer it to God. And then we take the bread and dip it in the juice. And then we go and we find a place to pray. Some of us up here on the steps, some of us go back to our chairs, some of us walk around and talk to God. But the important thing is that you get real with God. This isn't some big hurrah where we all do this together. This is between you and Jesus. 
So if you don't want to, you just sit there. It's all good. But I'm challenging you tonight. Take a step of faith and talk to God and see what he says to you.